0: Welcome to Revere Asset
1: Management's Your Money, with Danny Stewart. The market will always overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And Don Vandenborg.
2: Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep.
1: Hello, 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 and Happy New Year 2023 coming up in just a couple days. This is the final Radio podcast of 2023, Your Money Radio, New Year's Eve edition. I want to welcome all you folks. But first, I want to tell you how the Grinch stole Christmas from some Revere asset clients. Right out of their stockings, well, actually their mailbox. You see, Texas Clause, a.k.a. T.C., was working as a 1099 contract employee for Santa Claus, actually Santa Claus delivery services, LLC, AKA SCDS for short. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to our Christmas, uh, our Christmas uh, show, our podcast we did two weeks ago, our last podcast. And I talk about that, how uh, Texas Claus is delivering uh, uh, gifts for Santa Claus, kind of in the Southwest region of the United States. Anyway, He was delivering Revere Asset clients our Christmas letter and mailer with our Pasea dry rub, our signature Pasea dry rub. However, TC being a little bit lazy, subcontracted his subcontractor's job out to, you know who, that's right, the USPS, the Postal Service. And so... So we got reports from about a dozen clients and counting, it's growing, that either their letter uh, was opened with the content, the rub removed, and then a couple days later, they get a letter from the USPS directly with a picture of our Revere letter, our envelope, saying, hey, we opened this, we confiscated it, we're testing it, or they simply just took the entire letter and a couple days later, they got a letter from the USPS saying, hey, we took this letter, uh, just wanted to let you know, and we're processing it, we're, we're confiscating it uh, for testing the package. Now, now, you know, I would have just dabbed my finger, licked my finger, stuck my finger in the package and licked it if they'd asked me. Um, I'm kind of torn if they just, but any anywho... Um, I'm not sure whether the USPS uh, uh, ploys, I've gotten so much notoriety about my rub that they're borrowing for their own barbecue or in this political climate, especially in the Middle East with the Hamas terrorist, Homeland Security, HS, and UPS are stepping up their security protocols uh, and they're really on the lookout for salt, pepper, sugar, cumin, pasilla chili, garlic, and uh, cumin. Now, in fairness, I guess those foodstuffs can be used uh you know, to to uh, uh, hide odors or drugs, bombs, contraband, that kind of stuff. So, I guess they're actually um, doing stuff, but but that is uh, uh, a little bit nerve-wracking. Now, now they could just get a good trained drug stiffing dog, and that'd be the end of it. You wouldn't, if you had a sniffer, you wouldn't have to. You solve the problem and be a lot more efficient without all these unnecessary confiscations. But then HS would be out of jobs. They'd have to let go of a lot of people, kind of like AI. So in AI, it's the private sector, but in the government sector, it's dogs that could replace employees. But I I digress. Anyway, so if you were part of the Revere family and you did not receive your Christmas letter or you received your Christmas letter without any of our rub, then uh, just uh, reach out to me. And if you were a good boy or girl, no pan, I don't know what that is, um, I will take care of you and I will have TC either deliver it personally on horseback or by stagecoach to make it right. So in summary, the government Grinch stole some Revere Asset clients' Pissier rub and their Christmas letter. But we, the people at Revere in the private sector are going to fix the problem with a solution. But I digress. All right, enough said. I'm actually just curious because we sent out about 300 of those and I got 12 back, but those are people that knew and expected and a lot of new clients, they just may not even know. So if, you, if, if you're a client, and you're listening and you didn't get anything in the mail this year, uh, reach out to me because you probably should have. All right, let's dive right into the markets for the last show of the year. Um, a couple of things, I got some really good articles in the show notes. Uh, One, is a fiduciary BI, meaning best interest, only the broker, well, the custodian, they don't like being called brokers anymore. It kind of reminds them of a used car salesman. Um, 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 Best interest, see, Fidelity, on Fidelity's own website, because if you ask a question on Google, is Fidelity a fiduciary? And Fidelity has this really nice answer. Here's, Here's a hint. No, they're not. Okay, now. This is Fidelity's own words. Fidelity advisors comply with all applicable regulations, including providing advice that is in your best interest. Best interest means conflicts of interest. It's just suitable. So if I've got a go-go tech fund and you're suitable because you have a high risk tolerance, then that tech fund is in your best interest. But I could sell you a 5% front-end loaded uh, uh, A-share fund fund or i could give you the institutional class that's much 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 cheaper but either one is in your best interest so it's suitable so when they talk about best interest it's in the best interest of fidelity or mayor lynch or goldman sachs okay just remember that best interest is not in the best interest of the client kind of like the political bills like the inflation act it's supposed to bring down inflation anyway now um it's fidelity goes on when providing advisory services our advisors act. They're not, but they act in fiduciary capacity, meaning they act like a fiduciary. They're not actually a fiduciary. You see how what is, is, you see how those words, there's a little play on words there. They're very, and by the way, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not taking shots of fidelity. They all do it. It's all the same. Now, when assisting with your brokerage needs, our advisors provide recommendations in your best interest, meaning they're not acting as a fiduciary. But uh, if recommend if rec- but but if this is my comment. If you're recommending proprietary fidelity funds or funds that fidelity gets paid more on, so there is a conflict of interest. How can they say they're acting in a fiduciary capacity? Just me. Now um, secondly, uh, and there's a couple of there's another article oh, and, and there's a couple other articles about predictions and the possibilities. Now, most analysts, most economists now say we're headed we're going to avoid recession completely or we're coming in for a soft landing. That's what the economists say. Most stock analysts are predicting that 2024 will be mildly up, flat or even down. They're kind of they're kind of lukewarmish after this big year in 2023 and and the, because of fundamental valuations the forward pe price to earnings going forward is 22 23 that's extremely high that's very rich so either earnings have to catch up or price has to come down if you're talking about a historical standard folks if you come back to the historical mean pe which I don't know what it is lately, probably 16, 15, whatever it is, you're talking about a bear market. You're talking about ugly. So a lot of people, so a lot of these analysts, they can't get out, they, they can't, they look at these fundamental valuations, and it looks like it's already priced into the market. Now, technically, though, the technicals, it's really setting up, and it looks like a rip-snorting rally, or at least the next, I mean, things are setting up and looking really nice and you have the presidential election year, which is cyclical and very bullish. It's a, the presidential election year is historically one of the most b- bullish times, especially the early part of the election year. Ted's going to talk about that. But before we get into the markets, I want to talk about, John, Don always teased me about my man crush, Jeff Dunlap. The only reason I like him is he's an economist that actually is right a lot more often than he's wrong. Most of these yahoos are wrong and wrong. Just wrong. Okay, so I'm just going to quickly hit these bullet points. You can read the article. It's in the show notes. Money market asset trends are bullish for high-quality bonds in 2024. High-quality, meaning investment-grade bonds, are, should be good in 2024. If you're an asset allocator longer term and doing asset allocation, uh, I, I would agree with that. Uh, Fed deficits will reach crisis levels soon. We're not there yet? Really? A recession in Q2. So he's saying in the quarter Q2, we're going to have a recession. He's putting his reputation on that. We'll track that. Inflation will drop further in 2024. Yeah, yeah. That's because we're going to have a recession. If you're going to have a recession, demand goes down, price pressure comes down. It eases inflation, which is caused by printing, not by just business activity. The Fed may not wait much longer to cut rates. Basically, he's saying they're going to cut rates sooner rather than later. Even though the Fed talked about dropping rates a couple times this year, he thinks it's going to be early in the year, not later in the year. But here's the real question. Will that actually be bullish? Normally when the Fed drops rates, it's trying to stimulate, it's boosted to the economy. But a lot of times the first initial rate, it's like, uh-oh, what does he see? What is, what is the Fed seeing? Why are they trying to stimulate now? Is the economy getting that soft? Is it that ugly? So a lot of times that very first initial rate, if it's not expected, if, it come, if it's expected and he's talking about it, that's one thing. But if he comes out and surprises the market, that actually may be a negative, not a positive. Lower inflation may be here for a while. There'll go recession. Home prices look likely to drop. Everybody's still very bullish on home prices. He's one that says they could get soft. Lower bond volatility is on the horizon meaning bonds will stop, stop selling off. I agree with that one. Consumer stress should hit the broader economy. I agree with that one. Credit card debt is on the rise rapidly. And student loan delinquencies are on the rise. All right. So all of those things are likely true, but does that help you make money? So this this, this article, stocks go higher when strategists go low. This is an article talking about how a lot of times these analysts are wrong. So it says 2024 U.S. equity strategists, while none are pro- uh, projecting a big crash per se, a lot of them are, are not envisioning much upside. History suggests we should prepare for the possibility of underestimating the opportunity. God, I love that quote. Prepare for the possibility. You've got to be flexible in your mind that the market may still continue to go higher for a while. Conversely, it may have a bear market. Regardless, these guys think it's a soft landing. Okay, now they're saying down here, the bull case could be a combination of market leaders continuing to turn higher and a combination of better than expected uh, realized earnings uh, and a long run potential benefit from AI. In other words, AI starting to show um, efficiencies. Okay, market laggers are starting to catch up. That's already happening fueled by waning recession fears and recoveries in the economic cycle and further declines in bond yields. That's happening now, which would continue to support further price multiples. Now, what does all that mean to Revere? Look, folks, here at Revere, we're all about the probabilities and the possibilities. So the markets technically right now are looking bullish. They're looking very good fundamentally it's a pretty rich market we need to we need to see some economic recovery uh, if we're going to stay in these levels for a longer period for long-term gains short-term the market's very bullish all right now before i go to the markets and by the way we do have a guest ho- a guest uh, on today Alex Katutis, he was actually an employee for Revere for a short time period. He's actually a professional trader trades his own account, does a lot of stocks and options. We'll touch on that just a little bit, but actually, working for Revere kind of got interfered with with his own trading and so he re, were very good friends very very close still and so he left and Don said this guy really knows his stuff. let's keep so we keep him on as an as a as a paid analyst, and we actually He's on every morning call with us. The morning we actually have four, three, four market, three minimum calls a day, but sometimes four, um, and he's on every call. The morning call, the uh, uh, pre-lunch uh, call, and then going into the close. Um, and he's going to be talking about what he's doing now. And with that, I'm going to go to the mailbag because that will set up kind of this whole discussion on the outlook for 2024 what you may need to do in the different time frames cuz sometimes you may be restricted and not be able to be nimble or quick or own individual stocks and this would be especially true with self with 401k's or asset allocation strategies where you have to use ETFs or mutual funds Okay, right? so this is 1221 and this is from MS. Don, good morning. Quick question. An ETF st- On an ETF trading strategy that I can implement for someone who works during the day and has simple to apply rules, I struggle with e- e- entries and exits. Are there video or print resources you can suggest? Thanks, MS. MS. easiest would be to use weekly closes and allocate to SSO, QLD, and UWM based on where the indexes are against now we know this person they're a little a, a little bit aggressive and they they don't mind using a double leverage etf but anyway indexes are against the 21 exponential moving average the 50-day simple moving average and the 200 day simple moving average something like a total allocation of a hundred percent meaning all in when you're above all the uh indices but above the 21 exponential especially 50% of your assets to stocks, It's allocated to stocks, are in when you're above the 50-day. So that means half would be in the money market or bonds or something else. And then only 25% in equities when you're just above the 200-day only. Okay? Obviously, this is based on your comfort level. Hope this helps not. Uh, Don, thanks for the reply. That was really generous of you to share. Also, you mentioned one time that you had learned from Gary Kay. That's how I took it. I've been a fan of his podcast ever since. Yeah, I first started listening to Gary Kaltbaum back in 2000. He's, been, he's seen about everything. Take care. If you're underinvested, don't plunge all in all at once. Then, um, um, Then I'm going to go to this next one because i don't think i I think they're they're, they'll be tied in together and don you can use these however you want so that was one he was trying to figure out the best way to to uh you know get in and use like a for for a 401k account all right this one this one actually came in today um um uh, not sure if my text went through so i'm sending you this question by email by the way folks always send questions by email not text we don't always check our text. It's a compliance issue. It's a, if you send us a text, we'll ask you. I mean, it's one thing, hey, I'm, I'm on my way to come see you, or hey, can, you, can we have a meeting next week? That's one thing. But if you're asking strategy questions or asking about a, a portfolio review or some, something like that, then you, then you really got to uh, uh, email us that. Um, in any event, hi, Don. In your nightly videos, you talked about having stops in place for everything. Do you use a particular percentage down from your buy point as a standard? What percentage do you usually use? Thanks very much for helping me be a more educated investor, HL. Hi, H. Thanks for reaching out. Stops are based on multiple multiple factors, but most common are recent support levels and moving averages. The goal is to make progress and to be able to move the stops up to a break even as soon as possible. Initial stop on the first buy, because sometimes we leg in, lots of times we leg in. First buy is, is set, so the downside effect on the total portfolio is only negative 0.11%. So one-tenth of a percent or negative, call it negative 0.2, negative two-tenths of one percent max, right? on the t- So the percent loss on the individual position varies on the position size. A 2% size would be a 5.5% stop. Pyramid buy stops are similar to the first buy. Take care and happy new year. Now, this is my comments going forward. I actually got a call from a client about some, some money that he's actually trying to do on his own a little bit, and he's having trouble with stops. Um, and so my comments are this. At Revere, we use alerts uh, when stocks hit certain level. We do not use hard stops because market makers know where those levels are and they take advantage of retail investors. If you are using hard stops because either you worked or whatever, then you're a retail investor with institutional investors stealing your stops. Not only that, the biggest risk is a huge gap down at the open. You could, blow, you could open up way below your stops and then trigger the stop, and then you get st- stopped far below your stop price. It is not a continuous market from the close of the previous day to the open of the next. So if you're going to use hard stops because you can't watch the market consistently during market hours, that's another whole other can of worms problem in and of itself. Then at least try to use only good for the day stops and cancel at the end of the day, and then reapply right after the open the following day and reset accordingly. This way, you won't get a huge gap. See, if you have a big gap down, a lot of times it'll revert back up. So after the first two minutes of gap, you may reclaim half of that gap down, which you've already captured with your with your stop. So that's why it's better to let it open and then set your stop, you won't get a, a gap down flush, all right? Um, but trying to actively manage while working during the day is difficult at a minimum. Some would even say foolish. But if you're going to use stops, try to set them right after the day's open. Let the market settle for about a few minutes. And then also, this is counterintuitive. If you're going to use the 21 exponential EMA or the fit whatever the level is, don't just use it right at that. Do it at maybe a half a percent below that. Or if you're using, say, the stocks at 50 and you want your stop at $48. Don't do 48. Do 4793 and use odd numbers around nickel increments because people think in, in terms of round numbers, and they put most retail investors, just for order and simplicity, they will put it at 48 or or 47.95. Well, those stops, those algos will come down, hit, 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 and you may not get hit just by being a little more clever with your stops if you have to use them. At Revere, we actually have alerts set so that when it hits that level, Don gets an alert. He can quickly look at it, evaluate it, and then sell it or do whatever he needs to do. So that was a lot. That was a big mouthful. I just wanted to get that all in and set the table to the fact that right now, Fundamentally, we're very rich. Technically, the markets are acting very well. And the markets in the short term could run a lot further than you think. But the risks are elevated right now. So what do you do? With that, Don, take it away. Make me look smart.
2: That's, that's a tough uh...
1: I walked right into that one, didn't I? I just walked right into that one. As soon as it was coming out of my mouth, I said, that's a mistake.
2: (laughs) Big softball. Now everybody knows about your ultra large brain, Dan. So um, we will just talk about the markets and what we're seeing here is a market that's been extended in the short term for uh, a little over two weeks. And when we say we're extended, what does that mean? We're talking historically how far the moving average is relative to the 50-day moving average. Anytime the S&P 100 is over 5% extended from the 50-day moving average, it's kind of a caution sign. Anytime the NASDAQ 100 is 6% above the 50-day moving average, uh, that's a caution sign. They've been above there, and they're continuing uh, to stay above there for a couple of weeks. Uh, the biggest inflection point that we're referencing right now was uh, a out that we had last Wednesday on the 20th. And apparently it was tied to uh, some VIX rollover or some big uh, zero dated options uh, expert. All we did in the S&P 500 was come down, test the eight day moving average. If you watch the videos every night, you know I mentioned this level as um, a bullish plan and a bearish plan. Bullish is we bounce right there and go higher. Uh, That would be bullish. Bearish is if we continue lower and come down and test the line here. That's the 21-day moving average. And I drew a comparison back to the top of July, uh, where we stopped going up, had a three waves down, three-month correction. And really what we wanted to do is reference the low of that day in in July. We broke it four days later, and that kicked off uh, the move down we've held this so far and in fact we've made higher highs so that um negates that fear uh from an immediate point point. and now we've got the 21 day moving average next week will come up above that level that's uh, 46.98 that's the low of 12.20 and um that'll be a double level of support there and the market should if it pulls back to that level hold the we've got a very steep slope coming up on the 50-day moving average and the 21. And that's great because markets in and up, when they pull back and test those up, up charges, tend to bounce at that level. And uh, that's what we're looking for uh, when that happens. Right now, we're holding the eight-day exponential moving average on the S&P 500. The Grinch, you know, we mentioned, he tried to steal our uh, your uh, secret rub, the Grinch. Uh, We're in the middle of the Santa Claus rally. It's day five today. The Santa Claus rally is the seven most bullish days of the year. The Trader's Almanac founder, uh, his last name is Hirsch. He pointed this out back in the 70s. It's the last five trading days of a year and the first two trading days of the next year. We had four consecutive closes higher on the S&P, but we've taken back uh, a good bit of that today being down a half percent. When trending higher and you have a pullback like this, it feels a lot worse than it actually is. Um, none of our stops intraday have been hit on on anything, and certainly just testing the eight-day exponential moving average on an index is is completely normal. So, uh, day five of the Santa Claus rally, the Grinch sticking his hand in there a little bit, trying to take back some of the gains. Then we look to see what happens uh, the first two trading days of next year. Very often you get big. Um, inflection points or changes in character in the market in those first two, as people that have been putting off, uh, taking gains, decide they wanna lock them in. They don't do it at the end of the year because they don't wanna pay taxes, but they'll do it when the calendar changes and you see some things being sold. Uh, Conversely, we're, we're, what we're really seeing this year, end of 2023, is a nice rally. What we saw at the end of 2022 was a big sell-off, particularly in the FANG-type stocks. And what happened? Everybody finished their tax selling at the end of the year last year, and we kicked off a big rally in those stocks in the beginning of 2023. We're seeing just the opposite now. Those stocks have rallied now, so the question is, will the opposite happen? Then people start taking profits on those, and we'll see a little bit of a pullback. Uh, pullbacks are are normal, they're part of a market, the market doesn't go straight up and the fact that we've been extended for weeks uh, will make this pullback feel a little bit more harsh than it is. And at that point we're judging the pullback as, is it something normal or is it abnormal? Are leaders really getting decimated? They've acting wet, they've acted very well. Are the indices selling off in higher volume, which uh, is indicative of distribution and the market may be taking a pause at that point. So really what we always do when the market's pulling back is wait for it to stop going down. Uh, or some some stops will inevitably get hit on the way down, but um, when the market, when bull market pullbacks are more harsh than the, the, the moves higher are. It's the old escalator up, L, down and it's the complete opposite that happens in a bear market. In a bear market, normally you see trickling lower out of the blue. You'll get a sharp, um, short covering rally that uh recovers three four days of losses and uh they it sucks in a lot of bulls and then it just rolls over and that's one of the hallmarks of a of a um bear um and you really see the opposite in a strong bull market you'll get a a day or two of harsh pullback but it's kind of recovered over the next few days uh, or weeks And uh, as long as that continues higher, that'll keep the bull market uh, in force. Uh, That's where we've been since the beginning of November. This has really well, according to the typical William O'Neill rules. Follow with the fourth day follow through day off the bottom, leading stocks acting well, continuing to make higher highs, very minimal distribution during uh, the process and, you know, we just follow our rules and have made double-digit gains since uh, that occurrence happened. But uh, just like I say, it's not how much you've made in the market, it's how much of that you can keep. We have our stops in place for everything. The market will take us out of those positions. Uh, if we've got something new that we bought and we go into uh, a pullback, we'll, our stops will get hit on that uh, and we'll be out for small losses. And that gets back to the email that you mentioned, things that we buy recently, if the stop Uh, Takes us out, uh, you know, we'll we'll be out with a minus 0.11% of the overall portfolio loss. That's what we do on a pilot position or a quarter size buy. Uh, So, really, it's uh, last night's market was a really good indication of um, one of our rules. We've, uh, and I I quoted uh, a friend of mine who's a very good uh, trader and investor, JT at Ticker Monkey, and he really eloquently put somebody asking him the question what do you like next year in the market and uh the answer is i like the market i'll let the market tell me what to do i'm not going to have any preconceived uh, ideas of what should happen because predictions are futile in the market you go with what the market is telling you to do and if it's a bull market you participate in it if it's a consolidating market you tap the brakes a little bit if it's a bear market you get the heck out of the way and that's uh, what we do at Revere. That's how we lost significantly less than the market in 2022. And then we look for the turns to, uh, get back in with our short, first our short term rules. And then, uh, if we get, get above the longer term, the medium term and the longer term moving averages, then we just continue to put uh, client money to work. As long as the, um, as long as the market keeps giving us the good signals. And that's what it's been doing for the last uh, two months.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of a smoothing effect where, you know, like 2020 was, was, a, was a stock pickers market. That's my opinion. And then in 2021, it was more of a indexers market. 2022, you really had to get out of the way if you did And So it was a stock pickers market because stock pickers will move to cash, whereas indexers just write it down right? And then this yep. year 2022 or 2023 was an indexer's market versus a trader's market's a little bit tougher. Now, an active management still did well, but not quite as good as the indices. 2024, I personally think, you just don't know in advance, I think it's going to be more of a stock picker's market or an active management market because I think of these rich valuation. Now, again, it doesn't matter what I think. We're going to measure what is happening and make adjustments accordingly but just because the valuations are so rich i think that it's going to put some headwinds toward the indices themselves but there's still going to be individual stock opportunities uh abound so anyway all right with that why don't you uh go uh, you want to go to the 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 uh Ted first talk about the seasonality
2: yeah you touched on that in the intro uh let's do that Ted can you uh go ahead and take it away.
3: Yes, sir, Don. So I would first start off with, I just want to
2: tell what Don
3: is saying, how we do not make any predictions in the market. However, history and studying cycles and seasonality could give us a hint of the possibilities, but we we have to remember that it does not forecast the future. We have to analyze the market in real time. And I'd also argue um, that as as a trader, a second job title is also a historian. So it is very important to study this stuff. And Don, can you pull up the other chart first? I, I wanted to talk about a precedent from the 2018 to 2020 cycle, and then I was going to refer back to this re-election year seasonality. Sure. So starting in 2018, if you look at the left blue box, this is a weekly chart, by the way. So it's more more a higher level perspective. But we had three waves down, and this was due to the Fed hiking rates four times and that led to a correction. And so we bottomed out in January, 2019, pretty much where the the blue box ends. And similar to 2023, we rallied all the way through mid-year. And in this cycle, we started the correction in May and kind of ended in June. Whereas in 2023, we started that mid-summer correction in July and then bottomed out in mid-October. And so this was then followed by year-end rally as you see in the green box. Just like now in 2023, after the October bottom up until this point in time. And then in 2020, um, we continued rallying for a couple months, and then COVID hit, and that caused the market crash, which bottomed out late March. And after that bottom, we essentially just rallied into year end, and that was an election year. And so, Don, if you can pull up this re election year seasonality, although 2020 you could was caused by COVID this chart pretty much like was highly correlated with that year we in this seasonality chart uh the market rallies for the first two months and tops around that February area and slides downward in March and then it bottoms late March and then just stages a rally into the election and again seasonality cycle work that can help us kind of Know the possibilities in the back of our minds, but we just have to take it in real time. And this is just a quick, short segment on what we could possibly see technically in 2024 in this re-election year for Biden.
1: Thanks, Ted. The one thing I would like to mention on that very first chart that they had up, it the the range it does it kind of mutes the the effect. So on that third box that Don had up with the the coat, that big green box on the right. That right to the right of that, that COVID correction, folks, that's a 35% correction. You lost a third of your money there. That doesn't look like that big of a magnitude on that chart because that chart because of the scale of that chart incorporates quite a big, big range. But that one big drop, that's 30%. So the little box is, you know, around ten or twelve. And the other one is 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 getting close to twenty. So those don't look like big, big moves, but they actually are. So I just want to clarify that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a logarithmic chart, so it's it's compressed yeah. as you get uh, yes, the higher. Yes, I just want to
1: point that that was not a regular standard chart. That right, and so I wanted to point that out so that because people that aren't like a chartist will look at the the scale first thing and know what it is, but someone that doesn't, so I just want to go over that.
2: Well, thanks, Ted. Good stuff. Yeah. Let's uh, let's turn it over to Alex now. He's going to talk some options. Yeah. Alex the Greek.
0: Good to be back on the podcast. It's been a minute. Good to have you. Um, yeah. So, the first stock I want to go over, if we could pull up a daily chart of AMD. And if you go to November 1st, which is like right, I think it was right a day before the fall through day or the fall through day, if I'm not mistaken, Don, um, that yep, volume the signature on the,
2: on the NASDAQ. Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah, so this is where you have to have, first you have to have your list of stocks and the homework should be done already, hopefully. Um, This was something that has a lot of volume, both on the stock itself and the option. So there's a ton of liquidity, so you don't have to worry about the bid and ask being wide and having issues getting in and out of your option. So at the time, I don't own these anymore. I had taken profits uh, weeks ago, but, um, that day I bought calls, um, I think I bought the hundred strike January standard calls because of the volume and the way that the stock was violently coming up, uh, past a hundred. And at, when you're in that moment, it may feel like you're late, but most of the time, and if there's an early rally or start of a new bull, whatever you want to call it, you're not going to be late on a day like that. There was 138 million, um, shares traded that day. So the volume was that's institutions so most likely the odds are in your favor if you buy some calls and i try to buy strikes at the money or in the money so the delta if you don't know what delta is go google look up options greeks and it will explain to you you can look up what a delta is what your theta is what your vega is and it helps you measure that every dollar the stock goes up your option will move accordingly or decay overnight. So it's a little bit complicated, but I'm gonna try to make this simple. So I bought 100 strikes. Um, what I usually do is when it goes up 50 to 100%, I sell half, so that covers my principal. If it comes back down, I don't lose any money. Well, they ended up going up, I think, at 275%. And then I I, I took my profits. I It's funny, because there was another day like this. It was on the 7th of December. Um, there was a big volume day broken out of the 21 day moving average. And I didn't buy the calls that day, I completely missed it. That was another, op- that's the kind of day you'd want to buy calls the, that huge volume signature with a big blue bar or a green bar, whatever your um, software gives you. Um, those are the kind of days you want to buy is a big, massive breakout on volume. Um, most recently I haven't actually, um, this option is still open. If you could pull up FCX. Um, I bought calls on this on the breakout on December 13th. So this was like two weeks ago. And the volume was like outstanding that day. It was moving out of above major moving averages and it was very liquid. So I actually went further out. I went to January, 2025. So I bought LEAPS, which are long-term options. A year or more. Yeah, a year or more. Yeah, a year or more. Um, And if you look at the chart it kind of like, okay, why did I pick that day? Well, if you go to the first, the volume wasn't like convincing enough for me to want to buy calls that day. But look at the volume difference between the first and then look at the volume on the 14th, or excuse me, the 13th. Noticeably different volume signatures. So that to me was like, okay, that's an indication. And then luckily enough, it capped up the next day. And I think right now I'm standing at like Uh, 45 percent gain i'm not selling them because they're leaps i can withstand a little bit of a pullback like today it's down a little bit that's okay um a couple other things i look for besides volume and then the breakout on the stock because the the stock is what matters like people that trade options think that i'm just looking at tables and looking at the greeks no you got to look at the stock the stock has to be setting up because that's what moves the option the underlying stock is what matters so focus on that first and then target the volume liquidity of the stock. Another tip, look at open interest. It's the amount of open contracts, whether it's people that bought to open or people that are selling, market makers are selling to open. That means there's, let's say there's 7,000 open interest. That's 7,000 contracts that haven't been closed that are open, which tells me there's plenty of volume and there's also um, enough people for the liquidity to get in and out and the, the bid and ask won't be a dollar wide on a four dollar option so that those are a couple little things that i look for but mainly it's the, the pattern the price and the stock itself and then you pick your option so you could buy stock like you i bought stock that day too i use options that kind of like cherry on top if it does break out i sell into strength on the options and then that kind of finances my stock position a little bit but you have to be quick with options. It's not something that you do all the time. Like before this breakout we had in the NASDAQ and the S&P, this new rally we have, options, like I had made no money this year. I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit down actually, because there was no breakouts. It's underlying stocks weren't working, so it can get dangerous. So you have to pick the right times. It's, it's really a tricky thing and I don't recommend it for anyone that's new to the markets, learn how to pick your stocks first.
1: Okay, so let's me let let's go a little bit with the bigger pick. So I, lo- I love that setup. So you're saying the stock, the underlying stock, and especially the volume on that stock is critical for picking the option. And the second thing he said is, folks, if you don't know what the delta is, don't trade options. If you don't know what a Delta is, if you don't know what Delta means, you should not be buying options. Don't call me. Okay. (laughs) Now, now, um, tell us just a little bit about how you prepare for just investing in general. Let's put options aside because you got to get the stocks first and then the options. So you are out in Arizona the markets open at what eight thirty central time. I mean, uh, Eastern time. So what are you doing? I mean, how early or nine thirty Eastern time, sorry, eight thirty. 30. Well, time. I would <laughs>
0: like to go work out in the morning, but it's just too early for me. i, I kind of like to relax, have a coffee. I usually wake up, uh, five or five 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I get ready for our call the Revere call our morning call. I mm-hmm. kind of look at the futures, try to make sure there's no gap downs in my name <laughs> and, uh, Just kind of scan but a lot of the work i do um preparing is actually at night Um, okay i'll scan for i would say 30 minutes to an hour a night i'll look through the markets my big day is either saturday or sunday i'll do a couple hours of actual screening and scanning for new leaders uh new high lists are great try to find stocks hitting new highs or try to uh you can pull a volume scan to see what stocks like we just talked about had their biggest volume signatures there's actually been a couple stocks recently that have had their highest volume ever um i think estc was one of them that was a few weeks ago um and that's one's going sideways that's another one i have an eye on for potential so that would be how i prepare is um uh, you got to do a little bit of work.
1: You can't. Well, yeah, and, and, and that was my point, folks. Here's where here I was going with this. Now, some of the people will do, some investors and traders, they'll do their research in the evening for a couple hours or an hour. Some of them doing early in the market, a couple hours before. I know that the team at Revere, those guys are up and there because I've seen that, that we've got a group text with all of us, including Alex, mm-hmm. and things are going back and forth. Ted usually starts off first, but things are going off a couple hours before the market's even open. They've already done, stock screens and they've already looked at a hundred stocks or so. And they've actually Ted yeah,
0: has texted me at 330 in the morning Arizona time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No,
1: right, right, right. And and, and 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 so but the point is, folks, if you're trying to actively manage your own investments and you're not screening and doing a stock screen every day. And then calling the the weeds and watering the flowers and 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 doing this and doing about two hours of research before the market opens or or at night and then do a little bit of less time, but sometime before the market opens, getting ready for the day, and then having your rules in place while the market's open. I mean, that's what you're competing against. You're competing against guys that are, are collaborating together. We all share our ideas. Don gives his three favorite stocks of the day. Alex gives his. Ted gives his. And when there's overlap, that's a lot of confirmation. But we're, we're doing two hours of prep work before the market's even open. Are you? I mean, that's an honest question. You've got to be honest with yourself about what you're doing. So in any event, uh, well, listen, thanks, Alex. It's, it's great. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Uh, uh, that, thanks that for was, having me. yeah, that, that was awesome. Go ahead, Don,
2: Alex. I got, I got a question for you. When you, what, what makes you, what goes into the decision when you would decide to buy leaps as opposed to just uh, three months oh, great, out? Great, great, great for question. example. You know,
0: you, you know, that's a good question. I got to say, Mike really convinced me on FCX <laughs> His fundamental uh, analysis on the stock and the story of what's going on with copper makes me uh, more bullish for the long-term theme. Um, So that would be a reason. Um, AMD, the reason I didn't do it is at the time when I was buying them, I wasn't too sure. And there was news coming out with the NVIDIA regulations with the government. I wasn't too sure if I wanted to go super deep. and. I knew I was going to be out of it quicker. Um, unfortunately, I was wrong. I mean, I made money, but maybe I should have bought leaps on that. But usually, the leaps done is the the story. I I'm a little am more bullish on uh, like uh, B-I-T-O. I had bought leaps on that because I'm bullish really long, more long term on Bitcoin actually. Um, so that would be a reason it, is the more of the story. I'm Long-term, more bullish. So, on. so
1: the fundamentals and the supply-demand picture, longer-term, might influence mm-hmm. you for the duration. But generally, you're taking uh, uh, options out one month, two month, and three months. Two, can, can you days. highlight? Yeah, highlight because I've seen – look, I do the tri- – I execute a lot of these trades. So yeah. can, you, can you highlight kind of how you pick 45 days versus 60 days? How do you – because most of your stuff is short-term except when you really like yeah. the fundamental story.
0: So right now, like let's say I bought an option today. I would probably pick the February standards. I think it's over – I think it's like 49 days out because what happens, um, theta decay kicks in exponentially – uh, I think after 30, when it starts really kicking at 30 days. So if your stock is not, let's say your stock traded the same price every day after that 30 day mark, your option goes down. That's called theta decay. A lot of people don't even realize that <laughs> you'll just lose premium on your options. So and it's happened, exponential of,
1: it's yes it's exponential yeah. it, it declines exponentially as it it, it goes to The right. to the the closer expiration you get to date.
0: the expiration date the riskier it gets so I try to give myself enough time to swing that let's say it's a swing trade type move a couple of weeks and then I would blow them out because if it works you'll be up well I usually am up 50 to 100 percent or more and if it doesn't work I usually stop myself out anywhere between it's 12 to 20ish percent uh, hopefully not more, unless there's a gap down. But and, I, and the occasionally, size is yeah,
1: ca- Occasionally, be thirty or forty, but but yeah, and that's, that's what people. Rare, that's got that's what people have to realize that do options, folks. This is key because if you do this wrong, you will blow up your portfolio. When we're talking about option sizes, now we we tease up. Well, I can't tell you what we call Alex on the call. We tease Alex because he takes big, big. Big options positions and even big stock. He'll take a fifteen or twenty percent position in one stock, and he'll only have a hand. But it's his own money. He's not. He but he's watching it like a hawk. With yeah, clients, I'm, I'm glued
0: to my screen. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is my job. It's yeah, my yeah. livelihood.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so with with we've got a very few small select clients that we do this little option overlay strategy with, just to that understand it. If you don't understand what delta is, you can't even do it. Right. So, but, but the whole point is it's, it's just very, but I noticed that you do those couple different time frames, And so it's really is how much time you're trying to give that option. But normally you almost always are going to go past 30 days because you don't yeah. want the theta decay. Okay. So generally it's two months out or three months out is, is your sweet spot.
0: Yeah, that, and okay. I, I vote. Yeah, I would say that's a sweet spot—two, three months—and and I
1: and, would... and, wh- and why is that, folks? And it's because he's screening for the stocks, and he's screening all these stocks, and then all this, just like we do with protection. Then all the stocks that make it on the watch list—say, there's 30 stocks that make the fundamental screens, enough earnings, you know, all the other stuff. Then they go through the charts, looking at the charts, and. So just because it's good enough fundamentally and it, it qualifies doesn't mean it's timely, doesn't mean it's it's day in the sun is right now. So then they go through all those 30 stocks and maybe five or 10 of them will have a, short, a chart that lends itself its higher probabilities of having a short-term move, bullish short-term move those are the ones you want to do the options on the ones that look like they're poised to break out in the short term and so first you got to identify the stock then you got to identify yeah. the right strike and option with the most volume and then you take that and if you get that pop you take your it happens quick and if it doesn't work out you 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 cut your losses very quickly so these options are like just like using a growth stock, but it's like on steroids. So you've got to really manage them and you gotta keep it keep it uh keep it very tight. Alex And the thanks stock a lot. selection yeah.
0: process is very similar. Sorry, one last thing. The stock yeah. selection process is very similar to uh like Don and the team, we all kinda have a similar eye. So we're all looking at very um, explosive growth stocks with great earnings and a good future. So it kinda lines up nicely where Um, If we both see something and the team's talking about it, okay, we're all looking at it. There's liquidity there. Let me go look at the options now. That's kind of like what you just said. Do your stock homework first. Options come later.
1: Right, right so folks uh anyway that's that's something interesting uh, 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 that, that Alex does. I just wanted to kind of expose people because there's more than one way to skin a cat. It is pretty sophisticated though so you got to know what you're doing and if you're t- look don't don't watch those I remember they used to do the Wade Cook covered call strategies in the 80's or 90s he actually got stripped uh, from ever doing uh, giving investment advice again they stripped his license. He, they do this coverage call strategy where you screen for the highest premium calls. You buy the stock simultaneously and roll the call, and he promised you'd make 6 or 8% a month. The problem is he'd screen for stocks. The stocks with the highest call premiums, those are the stocks that have just gone up and been on a tear so that the pre- people ex- uh, uh, extrapolate and think that the stock's just going to go on more. So that premium, the call premium, is very high. So, yeah, you can get a call premium, but that stock is extended. So you get to 6% and your stock sells off 15%. Well, now you're down 8 and you got to pay short, the tax on the short term gain of the call premium. So it doesn't, covered calls are very difficult. It's not easy. Do not think it's, if you're going to use options, learn. Learn first. All right. Enough said. Don, do you want to make any last New Year's comments about next year? What you're going to be looking for?
2: Uh, what I said, Dan, I'm going to be looking at the market, the market will tell me the direction of the individual leaders, uh, and the trends and what sectors are leading. And one other thing with options, not, you don't only have to get, uh, price and direction, right. You also have to get time. Time, right. right.
1: Time Time is not your friend. Time is not your
2: friend. It's hard enough to pick, uh, you know, to pick stocks. You better be a darn good stock picker. If you're going to be, uh, adding in that added layer of time, uh, with the options and uh happy happy new year to everybody
1: all right folks listen and by the way the reason and and i'd love to have an alex on we may sneak him in every once in a while he's just uh, it's like drinking out of a fire hose. Michael Ramos was actually off on a little vacay. He's coming back from Australia, down under, in Friday. I think today or tomorrow, um, he's coming back. And Connor is actually flying today. He's in air, so that is why we had Alex on. But I like. I think we're going to have Alex on every once in a while. Sprinkle him in. This guy, call it in.
0: Call me huh? in from the bullpen. Yeah, go. <laughs> That's right.
1: He's our, he's our designated hitter. All right, folks, listen, it's been a nice year, 2023 ushering in 2024. Please, if you, if you like what you heard, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just send them to revereasset.com in the top right-hand corner. There's a subscribe button. They can put in their email address and their name. We won't ask them or reach out to them. It's up to them to reach out to us if they want a complimentary portfolio review, want a stock or a, a strategy they want talked about on the air you can email any of us dan at revereasset.com don at revereasset.com michael tedder connor at revereasset.com and you can always 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 call us old school at 855 real wealth folks we'll see you next week in 2024 on your money
2: but it's not about how much money you've made in the markets it's about how much of that you can keep